Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. Hello, fellow geeks. Apologies for my voice. I've come down with a bit of a cold. Also, I need to apologize for my end of the audio on this. The system I usually use for long-distance interviews was acting up, and my Mac was also acting up, so my end of the conversation was recorded on the device I use for in-person interviews while he was recorded from the computer. The very first answer goes off of my device for the first bit, but then goes to the better-sounding version fairly quickly. With me on this episode of Geek Out is the musician and filker Tom Smith. Per his website, Master of Improv Weirdness and Graham Poobah of Punnery, with more songs and silliness that is probably good for us. I like that. For over two decades, Tom Smith, the world's fastest filker, has been breaking hearts, crippling minds, and dropping jaws across the country and around the world. My first question was, just in case we have those poor, poor souls who have never heard of filk, how does Tom usually define filk? filk? Uh, there are basically three different aspects of the definition of filk, the first of which is um, the genre. That is to say, the music of science fiction and fantasy fandom. And that can be anything. That can be anything that we, you know, as, as Juanita Colson says, anything we sing in a film room. Uh, but it allows us to incorporate songs about computers and cats and, and, and rocket ships and other things that aren't necessarily science fictional, but things that we enjoy and care about. You know, cartoons and movies and pop culture. Uh, pretty much anything. Um, but generated by and for our community, that is to say fandom. Uh, number two, it's often used as both a verb and a noun for a parody of a song. For instance, uh, you know, oh, I, I did a filk of Stairway to Heaven, you know, type of thing. You know, where, where, where that would mean that you rewrote the lyrics of Stairway to Heaven to your own nefarious purposes. And there's also the community, which is to say all of the people in fandom who actually participate in filk music pretty much form a worldwide community. And uh, we get together at, uh, at various music conventions, uh, various folk cons like the Ohio Valley Folk Fest, OVFF, or uh, Filk Ontario up in uh, Mississauga, just outside of Toronto, or go to the conventions over in Germany or Britain. And, um, and it's, like, it's like getting together at Thanksgiving for family. It really is. So... <laughs> no. <laughs> now your bio says that you've been doing this for over two decades. Well, this is. At this point, it's actually over three. I really started doing this in 1985. 85? <laughs> that yeah. wasn't three decades ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> I always like to go into kind of what I call origin stories, and not necessarily, you know, what got you into it, but, you know, tell me the story of the first time that you decided to put pen to paper, music to fingers to guitar, or however you end up writing your songs. What was that first <laughs> inspiration? Well, we actually go way, way, way back before uh, the, the, the folk story then. Uh, my mom was a nightclub singer in the Detroit area, uh, had some notoriety. Uh, my dad was a dancer, 
and I, <laughs> I, I, I met a few celebrities along the way. I met Rich Little, who was one of my idols. I met Buddy Rich, who, who, you know, came over and gave me three drum lessons, which, you know, at the time I should have freaked. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, these. Uh, you know, my mom. My mom ran at the edge of important circles, and my dad tried teaching me tap dancing. I have my dad's uh, old accordion sitting here in a big ass case. I took organ lessons. I took piano lessons. I took drum lessons. Nothing took. In the mid '80s, when I started hanging out with Ann Arbor fandom, I also at the same time having just got back from living in Cincinnati for two years and decided to go with a couple of friends to go see Rocky Horror, ran into some people from East Lansing who were down in Ann Arbor because the East Lansing Theater had been commandeered by another Shadowcast group. This is way before we ever called it Shadowcast. And some of those people included Robin Nakula, who is still an active filker, and Mike Stein, who is still an active filker. And they were also members of the Michigan State University Tolkien Society. So between them... And the people I was hanging out with at the Ann Arbor Tulyagi Air Corps Science Fiction Club, which included Cliff Flint and whatever he was in town, Frank Hayes and stuff like that, I got hit from both ends by the idea of filk. And the absolute truth of the matter is that I was trying to get laid. <laughs> uh, uh, the Rocky Horror people, there were a couple of them that I was extremely enamored of, the, uh, the lady playing... Uh, Frank, in particular, uh, was gorgeous, and so I ended up uh, getting a consignment store guitar, 25 bucks, getting a couple of Mel Bay books, and you know, teaching myself, which I didn't do a very good job of as far as it goes. I'm 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 pretty decent as a rhythm guitarist after all these years, but finger picking, <laughs> flat picking, free there goes the pick, free there goes the pick. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was trying to get the girls. <laughs> That's always a good origin story, though. Mm -hmm. I, I have to tell you the rest of the origin uh, I went down to uh, actually visit her at one point in uh, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky uh, she, did she live in Louisville or Lexington? I can't remember she lived in one of the two of them and we went to the other one to go see our Rocky Horror production live you know the actual stage show and hang out at the carnival and it was wonderful it was wonderful very nice very romantic evening we get back and we get into bed, and her dog gets in between us for nine and a half hours. And I said, the dog is making his love known here. <laughs> his choice has been made, <laughs> and it ain't me. Fine, fine, it's all good. And we're still great friends. I sang at her wedding years ago. Now, um, one of the things I always like to write, ask writers, uh, and as a writer myself, I know there is no one way you, you write a song you know, or write something that it, ideas come from everywhere. So I don't like the standard, where do your ideas come from per se, but in terms of, especially with music, typically, and again, I know that it probably changes every time, but typically do you usually have the story that you're going to tell or the song that you're going to riff off of first? So, it depends. Sometimes I have the idea for the yeah, for the song. Sometimes I just hear a rhythm and I'd like to do that. I hear a chord structure. Sometimes somebody, uh, you know, somebody says a line. Okay, you know, it can be anything. <laughs> Tell you what, right now, give me something, anything. Um. Well, I just saw Iron Man last night with uh, the director and producer, and the people behind me were talking about how it's an old movie, but it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. 
I saw Iron Man, had a lot of fun with that man in the can. The people behind me said it's old. I don't even know what I'm going to hold. I can't deal with this. It's only 11 years since this came out. I've got nothing to say because those people are young anyway. How can they watch this? I read the comics back when. Nice. Stan Lee and Don Heck had their pens. Just, just. No, I'll make up anything. <laughs> it's fun. Do you, ha- I mean, how long does it typically m- get you to write, to finish a song? Are you one of those people like, you know, I know I personally for my writing, it's very hard for me to decide something's done. It depends on the song. Most of them take no more than a couple of hours. Uh, sometimes they can be done in, in 10 minutes. On the other hand, there's one that I've been trying to find the right bridge to since 1989. So, <laughs> just just sitting out there. And I will figure it out one day. I'll look at it and go, oh, that's what I should have written. It's all good. But it, it it's highly variable. Now, I mean, and this is going to sound like a backwards compliment, but do you make your living doing this? <laughs> it is not a backwards compliment. Or a backwards um, insult, sorry. Uh, no, but I mean, is it some? I mean, I know a lot of fan pursuits. It's you can't make, especially music. It's it's hard to make, you know, a living off of it. It was easier ten years ago. Okay, after we had the uh, the Great Recession, it got to be a lot more of a problem. Uh, I'm doing better these days, but I am technically medically retired on Social Security, and what I make through my Patreon page, patreon.com slash fulcrum. <laughs> oh, we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, what I make, what I make on that, basically supplements my uh, social security income, which barely pays the bills. Okay, so so it's like if I get to do one song in a month, then I eat okay. If I get to do two songs, then I get to loosen things up. If I, you know, I'm I'm hoping to do five songs uh, extra in the next couple of months, so that I can drive up to uh, Worldcon in San Jose and visit my mom out in Arizona. So. <laughs> Well, that's a great segue into Patreon. Um, when did you sign up for that? I know I've seen listings for a while now. It's been about three years. Three years. For those who don't know how Patreon works, it's basically a monthly commitment uh, at various levels that you promised a, you know, a certain amount of output every month. As a writer myself who's contemplated Patreon, how confident are you that you're going to be matching those goals? Well, that's the thing. There's two ways you can do it, Okay. Uh, you can either set the thing up so that you get X amount of money, no matter what, from somebody you know, in a month, or you can set it per work. I set it per work, and that way I don't feel I'm taking advantage of anybody. If, it, you know, if I come out with one song, great, then everybody pays me for the one song. If I come out with two songs, great, everybody pays me for that. There's also an upper limit that a, uh, a patron can set saying, okay, I'm not going to put in any more than this per month, okay? It's like five bucks a month, ten bucks a month. This is all the guy's getting from me. And it's like, okay, fine. But that way, nobody pays if I'm not actually producing, and so I feel much better about it. Well, cool. What is your daily regiment in terms of, of working on your songs? Do you have any kind of regular process that in terms of that, you know, you get up and you spend X amount of hours working on your songs? 
I wish I had the wherewithal for that. No, it's it's basically whenever I can get the spoons. As I said, I'm technically I'm medically retired. I'm you know it's it, it's <laughs> you know I weigh a lot and I'm not in the best shape. Uh, and uh, the diabetes is you know the the numbers of diabetes are under control, but I'm still tired a lot. You know as as they say, I don't have that many spoons. And I'm trying, particularly this month, as a good example, I'm trying very hard to get some stuff done before the end of the month so that I don't have to panic in the last two days and spend two days exhausting myself coming up with something before the midnight deadline of posting something for the end of the month on Patreon. So. <laughs> yeah, no, this kind of leans into to social media. You're very transparent, I guess is the best word, on, on social media. You're, you're, you are uh, almost, you know, talking a lot about your, your personal health and your personal struggles. And you also post a lot about, you know, your various political issues, especially lately. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that by talking about my health issues, I, I'm hoping that it hasn't been a matter of, you know, just, geez, he whines about his health all the time. I'm, I, I at least try to be productive. Well, I mean, that was what I was going to say. How much of that is just you wanting to to be open about what's going on and how much, and this is going to sound callous, but how much of it is marketing? Because unfortunately in social media, you kind of have to be posting a lot to keep in people's minds. I, I, I can see that, but on the other hand, that's part of the reason that I have a separate musicians page uh, on Facebook that I don't discuss any of that stuff on, okay? The musicians page is just for discussing you know, new songs, where I'm going to be performing, that kind of stuff. Uh, my personal page is a different story. And even there, no, none of it is marketing. <laughs> no, I'm talking to my friends. <laughs> right, well, like I said, I mean, marketing in terms of the fact that social media is a marketing tool. Indeed it is, but it, it's, I, I, I never have gone into, into the idea of, I'm not a big marketing person. I'm not a big salesman, okay? I probably could be very good at it if, if I didn't think it was awful. <laughs> I've done sales. I was miserable at it because I just couldn't push people. I, I I'm not one of those people who can uh, who who can do the the hard sell. Oh, I'm the same way. I mean, I I have trouble selling my own stuff, and that's that's part of the reason I was asking as to whether how much of this was you. I I guess let me rephrase the question: How much of it when you post something is going through your mind of oh I need to make sure I post something so people know I'm still around. I suppose there's there's something of that in there, but uh, there's enough of a network then. I'm pretty sure that if we're happy, yeah, when when I got hurt almost exactly ten years ago, okay, when 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 I racked up my leg and ended up in the hospital for nine weeks, okay, it got out very fast. <laughs> there is a network of people out there who got it out and helped take care of me. That was that was a good thing. Uh, and and yeah, please don't don't take offense. I'm not trying to, to to make it sound like you're you're using your your life for marketing. But like I said, for myself, I know that I like every once in a while I'm like, oh yeah, I need to post on Twitter something just because I need to keep my Twitter going. Okay, I'll post about what's going on at work, you know, kind of thing. So it's it's more trying me trying to figure out, you know, in terms of my own social media as well. Because like you, you know, like you, I'm I'm not very good at selling my own products. Um, because it's like it, it is a kind of an awkward thing but with that in mind uh, on your personal page you also have a separate page specifically for politics um, again gestures at the world but for me personally I know posting especially political stuff is a highly highly touchy thing because you're gonna get all sorts of people commenting 
And especially today and days and age, you're going to get a lot of not polite, let's say, commentary. What makes you not want to just throw it in and give it up and just what makes you keep plugging away at it? Because I want the world to be better. <laughs> because I don't like seeing people being hurt. <laughs> and, and, and they're being hurt constantly by our, our government. And those people aren't supposed to be, you know, they're, they're elected to be our representatives and to do the best for the country and they're not. And so my sitting back and not saying anything would be tantamount to letting them go. Okay. It's like everybody else is doing the same thing. You know, all it has to happen for evil to win is for uh, good people to say nothing and do nothing. So I have to try and do this. If, if for no other reason than flagging down which of my friends I know I can trust to believe in the same stuff I do. So, uh, And I have it separate from my personal page and my musician page so that it does not get in the way of those. Okay, For a while I was just doing it on my personal page and there got to be some really ugly fights and I said I can't take this into my personal page. And so I made up I made up the separate one, and then I ended up making a separate uh, page from that for social issues, for things like you know Black Lives Matter and LGBT freedom and feminism and 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 and. And I keep I keep I keep the personal page for silliness, movies, TV, trailers, jokes, uh, shtick, affirmations of you are a good person, go go you. <laughs> Because that, that, that I also try to do. I, I really try to encourage people to, to, you know, it's not a matter of looking past yourself or even looking within yourself. It's a matter of just, just look at whatever you have to do and do it. And the more that you end up doing that kind of thing, you will, you will end up becoming more yourself just on sheer gumption. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, I see from your listing that you have a Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. Uh, are you still on LiveJournal? Or did you escape when the whole last buyout happened? I, I'm pretty sure that the the account is still active. I probably should shut it down. Do you have a preference in terms of Facebook versus Twitter versus YouTube? YouTube, I'm occasionally doing music videos. I'm actually trying to get a couple of those ready for the end of the summer. Uh, Twitter, I basically use if I want to join a contest. <laughs> <laughs> so Facebook. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not on Tumblr with the fandom uh, that is there. I, I may have to get on a Tumblr. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm technically, I'm on there, but uh, I am very, very inactive. But, you know, I have to poke around and find out about uh, about uh, Tumblr and Instagram and Snapchat and a few others. And they're already, you know, some of them are already passe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know there's a couple that have been uh coming out uh what with the whole facebook and cambridge analytica thing and i'm just like i'm holding off because it's like a i already have 15 billion social media accounts i don't need another one but b it's also kind of just to see if it actually survives <laughs> now uh, looking over your your bio on your website it talks about how you know you've been praised by everybody from you know larry niven to, to dr demento tell me about that <laughs> Well, that's really easy. Number one, Dr. Demento has played my stuff, and he's and he's been very complimentary about uh, about my songwriting, and I appreciate that a great deal. Uh, Larry Niven, the first song that I wrote in fandom, okay, actually the first one that I released because there were a couple things that I wrote that were just abominable, and those those pages have accidentally been lost, you know, shredded, 
burn, buried, dance on, all accidentally. But I wrote a uh, a song called Superman Sex Life Boogie, which was effectively a counterpoint to his essay, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex, wherein he explores the sexual uh, mechanics of Superman trying to um, you know, perpetuate the Kryptonian race uh, using a human woman designated LL for convenience. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, I wrote about the psychological aspects of it. When I'm pretty sure it was Context 88. I'm pretty sure that was the first convention that I was a guest at, Context 88 in, uh, in Ohio. And Larry Niven was going to be the big author guest. And I had heard from a mutual friend that, Harry, uh, that, that Larry had heard my song and liked it. And I was like, oh, my God. So when I encountered him on the Friday afternoon uh, coming to the con, I went up and introduced myself. says, hi, Mr. Niven. says, I'm Tom Smith. I'm the guy who wrote the Superman Sex Life Boogie. And he goes, oh. And he started singing it at me. <laughs> and that counts as a life highlight. I don't care what else. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> and in 1994, uh, when we were both at uh, PhilCon in Philadelphia, he came up on stage and sang it with me during that concert. <laughs> awesome. So that was great. Now, uh, do you have a favorite song, or is that basically like choosing a favorite child? Uh, oh, favorite song of mine. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to start rattling off Billy Joel and, and, <laughs> and, and, and Ashman and Minkin and, and Beatles. And well, that's next, is talking about yeah, your right. <laughs> I don't know that I've got a favorite song, although although Rocket Ride is pretty close. Rocket Ride is, is that, mean, that one means a lot to me. And what would you say is, is some of your, you know, the most recognizable song of yours? At this point, it's uh, possibly a, it, it. It's probably a toss-up between Rocket Ride, 307 Ale, and A Boy and It's Frog. Uh, all, all for different directions. Okay, I use uh, I, I, I tend to close my concerts with uh, 307 Ale and then Rocket Ride. A Boy and It's Frog has got some extra life on on the internet just because people are going, Oh my God! How can you do that? Oh my God! Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Like I said, it was how I was first introduced to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And now I hear you on Pandora, which is such a surreal experience. <laughs> <laughs> Segwaying into, you know, what would you say is is your influences in terms of where you, where, how you write and what you write? Okay. Well, that's a list. First thing is my family loved show tunes. One of my first albums that, that you know, even though it was the family's, I recognized as mine, 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 was the soundtrack to Disney's Mary Poppins, which when I was a kid, I just played. I, I saw Mary Poppins twice in the theater first run. That was, that's uh, among my earliest memories are all involving Disney. Uh, that and uh, West Coast trip when the whole family went out to uh, California. But writing influences, without question, the Beatles, without question, Billy Joel, Howard Ashman and uh, Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz. And Jim Steinman, the guy who wrote most of the most of the songs for Meatloaf, and Stephen Sondheim, uh, and Andrew Ratchin, the, uh, the the writer, uh, vocalist, and guitarist for Uncle Bonsai. To an extent, Christine Lavin. A lot of things from old folk music. It's funny because, uh, you know, I have the impulse to say Stan Rogers, but not really Stan Rogers. A lot of other stuff before that. You know, all the things that Makem and Clancy used to sing. You know, show tunes, folk tunes, comedy tunes. Uh, I definitely got parodies 
from Alan Sherman and of course, <laughs> my career ended up paralleling uh, Weird Al Yankovic. He had a great deal more success than I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, show tunes as one of your inspirations. Have you contemplated doing like a musical? Uh, I already have. Oh, you have? I didn't see yeah, it on the, your list. The, the Last Hero on Earth. Oh, okay. Tell yeah. me about it. That's a superhero musical. I actually wrote that back in, what is that, 2004? 2005? I wrote it for 24-Hour Comics Day, uh, which I found out about in 2004, that's right, let's, let's set this up properly. Uh, Rob Balder, the man who wrote the words to Rich Fantasy Lives, I wrote the music for that, told me about this wonderful experiment in creativity by Scott McCloud, who is a god of comics and explaining things. Just wonderful, wonderful creative person. And he, he wrote like a book, Understanding Comics and then Reinventing Comics, and then another one beyond that. If you haven't uh, seen his stuff, he did the series Zot. He did the graphic novel, The New Adventures of Abraham Lincoln. Just just amazing stuff the guy does. And he came up with this idea of doing a comic book, start to finish, concept to final inks and lettering, in a day. You know, call it a page an hour for, you know, convenience. So the idea is in one, you know, one, one day to come up with an entire 24-page comic book. Now I can draw one halfway adequate maybe superhero or fantasy pinup roughly every presidential administration uh i do count roosevelt and <laughs> but i write songs fast and so what happened was i uh, uh in 2004 i asked a bunch of my friends on live journal to come up with say two keywords and a, a musical style and they did and they beat me up <laughs> they come up, yeah, do Japanese pop, do do Mozart opera, you know, do Zappa. Oh my god. But I ended up writing seventeen songs in one day. So the next year, I said, All right, let's let's play a different game here. I want your best Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko style chapter titles. Okay. <laughs> you know, this man, this mugwump, all kind of stuff. And I got a bunch of those. And I took about twenty of them. And I uh, started writing, and I wrote, uh, in, in one day, I wrote a libretto to a musical. I put them together, assembled a plot, and um, you know, I, I, I wrote a, a, a superhero musical, a comic opera, if you will. And the gist of it is about this heroic wannabe called The Waffle, who... I was, I was going to say, you, 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 got, you got Fender Bender, who is incredibly tough and strong, and you've got Maxicron, who can control the Atom, and Shield Maiden, who is, eventually, is essentially a Valkyrie, and you know, a whole bunch of characters like that. This guy has a syrup gun. Okay. <laughs> he's got a super soaker, and he's filled it with maple syrup. <laughs> Sounds like something out of, out of the tick. <laughs> Basically. Um, but he ends up being the only hero left when the mad scientists of the world unite and get rid of the others. And so he's got to save the world. That's what the plot is. <laughs> cool. Hello, I'm Freakman Adjuman, and we're here at the Sensei premiere at the Arclight Cinemas in Los Angeles, and I am geeking out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. You can find Contents May Vary, the home of the Geek Out podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash contentsmayvary. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at the handle Angie F. Sutton. Be sure to give me a review over on iTunes or Stitcher. Finally, I have a newsletter. Be sure to sign up for it over at angiefsutton.com.
And now back to my interview with Tom Smith. You said you talked about partnership, and I know you've worked with a few others. Like uh, there's a couple of releases on on the Thump, a funny uh-huh. music project for those who are not familiar with that. Where you've worked with a couple of people like uh, the great Luke Ski and whatnot. Tell me a little bit about working with somebody else. Um, I don't often. Nothing particularly wrong with it. I tend to want to have as much creative control as possible. If somebody needs me to contribute something. I ask them what they would like, and if they have something very specific, I'll do it. And if they have something very vague, I'll do it. Like I said, when I wrote the music for Rich Fantasy Lives for Rob Balder, you know, he gave me the lyrics, and he basically did a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And I looked at it, and I said, this needs a little bit of drama. And so I took the first half of the third verse and turned it into a bridge, and it broke up the song very nicely. I don't collaborate much, and that's just that's just personal whatever. I must say no. that even though we talked about A Boy in This Frog and that was my first introduction, Rich Fantasy Lives is probably my favorite song of, of yours with the, the humor one of the Hermione Granger being a pirate, uh, probably <laughs> my second favorite. <laughs> well, that one's all mine. And honestly, if you love Rich Fantasy Lives, that is a compliment to both of us because Rob wrote some incredible lyrics and I was privileged to, to write some pretty good music for it. And, uh, and the Hermione Granger thing is just, you know, at, at one point I realized, okay, wait a second, that's Talk Like a Pirate Day. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you have a lot of songs about pirates. Uh, do we yeah, need to I, talk about your problem with pirates? <laughs> I, I haven't got a problem with pirates at all. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to compile all of them and maybe remaster them because you know, some of them are older mixes and I'm a lot better now. But, uh, you know, I, I've thought of doing a, comp- a compilation called Zombie Pirates in Love and doing all my zombie and pirate songs on one album. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you talked earlier about how a lot of people have been, you know, will suggest songs to you or will think, has there been time when, when somebody has suggested something where you either just couldn't come up with something or you're like, no way in hell am I going to do that? And you don't have to be specific <laughs> necessarily. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be very specific. I, I, I don't take challenges anymore. You know, if something... You know, hits my funny bone. That's one thing. If I say, "Hey, that 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 could be a song there," you know, maybe. All right. On the other hand, you know, when I was when I was young and stupid, okay, and I realized that I had this thing of writing songs very quickly. That would have been about 1992 at Marcon. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that night. Uh, Michael Longcore had come up with something. Somebody had challenged him. And said, "Hey, Mike." You're really weird, but you're not weird like Tom Smith. And see, so he wrote a song called Rhinotelexomania, which is about picking your nose. <laughs> and I picked up a pen and a pad, and I said, excuse me a minute. And I went out in the hall. And I came back 14 minutes later and had a parody of the same song called Mucoidal Periodontia, uh, which, which, Periodontia, which was about eating what you pick. And people were there with a stopwatch. <laughs> And, and at that point, my my, uh, my reputation as the world's fastest filter was secured. Obviously. <laughs> you talked about how you started out in the 80s, and it's now obviously uh, 2018. Um, mm-hmm. You did talk about the financial crisis in 2008, but obviously we also have, you know, the invention of the Internet and you know, being able to, to connect people that way has, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, changed media as well. What would you say is the best thing that you can do now that you may not have been able to do back when you started? Get my music just about anywhere. That's that's the big thing. I have fans across the world, which just humbles me. Okay, I got people in Israel, people in Pakistan, people in Japan, people in the Philippines, you know, South America, Northern Europe, 
I got people freaking everywhere who have heard my stuff. And that's just awesome. And so the best thing that I can do is to get better, to come out with more songs, to get better at, uh, at making them sound good, make, make them sound like what I hear in my head, do my best to, to improve the world that way. You know, I'm not in a position to do much financially. <laughs> I, I really can't, and I can't do very much physically. Otherwise, I would have joined Habitat uh, for Humanity years ago and started uh, building houses. Uh, I can't even wrangle my own most of the time, but I can make music and I can make people laugh and I can make people feel. Now, if uh, you could go back in time and talk to yourself uh, when you were first starting, what would be the one piece of advice you would give yourself about becoming a filker or becoming a musician? <laughs> How about that? No, the first thing I would say is exercise, give up Pepsi, give up potato chips. <laughs> If you're talking about songwriting and, and musicianship, I would say make yourself learn finger picking and how to use the proper pick, okay? Because I have a classical guitar that I beat on as if I was a Beach Boy or maybe Mark Knopfler, except I'm nowhere near as good as Mark Knopfler. I have problems doing melody lines. I've never learned any of that stuff. I can chord my way through just about anything, you know, on backup guitar, on rhythm guitar. I'm pretty good, you know, after all these years, I'd better be. But I am not the kind of person who can sit and pick through a melody line or even an accompaniment line on a guitar, except with great difficulty. So I would do something about that. And then similar, say someone wanted to get into being a musician or specifically a filker, what would you want to, you know, and, and came to you to adv for advice, what would you tell them? <laughs> First thing I'd tell them is to go to a few conventions that have filth, sit and relax and listen to what kind of stuff they're playing. Okay. If you feel brave enough to throw in a song, that's great. But mostly just find out about what the community is actually playing. And it will be different from night to night. Some nights you'll have more serious stuff. Some nights you'll have more funny stuff. Some nights it'll go back and forth. If you're on the California coast, you'll have a lot more people who do bardic circles, pass, pick, or play. If you're in the Midwest, you'll have more chaos where it goes bouncing back and forth and can change subjects or follow, you know, however they choose. If you're on the East Coast, there will be more hymnal style where people will actually have all the same songbook and they'll all sing the same songs together and variations thereof. <laughs> There's there's a lot of that, but first, if you want to become a filker, you have to basically join the community, and that means getting there and listening to what they're doing and letting people know you. If you want to learn about what to write, that's any songwriting thing. You know, write write what you know, write the style you know, write about the stuff that uh, interests you and you care about. <laughs> In a lot of ways, it's the easier one, because if you wanted to become a filker, the idea presumably would be that you have something in mind musically that you want to get out. If you don't, then maybe you don't want to be a filker. You can be a filk fan, without question. And and those are respected. I mean, they have listener guests of honor at OVFF every year. What would you say is the most unusual experience you've had in terms of either writing or reading or, or singing or going to a con that relates to your filking, or the most humorous? <laughs> Boy, that's 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 loaded. There's been a lot of great ones. And some of them aren't necessarily my concerts. Uh, several years ago at uh, WendyCon, Eric Coleman was having a concert, and he was having problems getting together with a song, whatever it was. And I finally said, okay, fine. And I started Occupy Eric Coleman. And we got about 15 people up on the stage sitting there occupying Eric Coleman's concert. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was it was silly. We we uh, you know we started yeah, writing up signs and stuff, and uh, it was it was glorious. It was a lot of fun. 
Uh, I remember the great lobby filth of 1986, which was Marcon again. At the time, we were at a hotel that had two different towers, which were not connected above the third floor. Okay, it was like it went up to six, went up to six, but you couldn't get there from here. And the room we were supposed to have on the sixth floor of Tower B, whatever it was, uh, the air conditioning wasn't working. So not having any other space, we commandeered the lobby. And that was effectively my coming out party <laughs> uh, in Filk. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun, and there were a lot of people there, and we had a great time singing. Uh, Bill Roper was there. Uh, Barry and Sally Childs Hilton were, were first there, making themselves known. Uh, Mitchell Clapp was there. Murray Porath and Al Babcock. That was a story, too. That was the first time that I'd ever heard the Mitchell Trio song. It was, it was during the part where Chad Mitchell was not actually with the group, and John Denver was. But that was the first time I'd ever heard the I Was Not a Nazi polka, which is a hilarious song. And Murray tells this apocryphal story. There's no way to verify it. He was busy singing the song for crying out loud. But he and he and Al Babcock were singing the song, and get near the end of the song, and you know, you know, if if you don't know it, you know, it starts. Each and every German dances to the strain of the I was not a Nazi polka. All without exception, join in the refrain of the I was not a Nazi polka. And by the end of the song, everybody's going Sigheil, Sigheil, Sigheil. So. In come a couple of these weary travelers oh God. at 12.30 in the morning, come into the room, you know, come into, come into the entryway, and here in the lobby, there's about 55 people all going, Sigheil, Sigheil! And the one looks at the other and says, Oi, hey. <laughs> Apocryphal, like I said, but still. <laughs> well, when it comes to, the, the, I mean, sideline, whatnot, but uh, I've always wondered this in terms of, Deciding what conventions you're going to do. Obviously, it's going to partially based on on whether you can afford it based off of what they're paying you. But do you have any other deciding factors as to what cons you decide to go do? No, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Seriously, I am very fortunate that a few cons have decided that they're going to pay for me uh, every year, which is great. I like doing the local cons. I should do more of the local cons, like the anime cons, but I'd have to, to rejigger and, and come up with new stuff for the uh, specific crowds that those cons are for. The anime and the horror crowd are not the same as the folk crowd, and while I'm sure they would listen to my stuff and laugh and enjoy it, I'd like to appeal to them, you know? And it's not like I don't love the stuff. <laughs> just just got to write more songs about it. I've written a decent number of horror songs. I like the local Michigan cons because the Michigan cons are, are my immediate friends. No, it's like we just had PenguinCon the other week. I go there, and there are a couple hundred people that I know and can get hugs from. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's just fantastic. I hang out in the hallway, and everybody comes, Hey, Tom, hey, hug. You know, it's great. There are conventions across the country that have asked for me. And I say, okay, listen, we're going to do this. I'm fine with it, but we got to have like a minimum amount of travel money. And, and I got to make sure that I've got a mobility scooter for when I'm there. And, you know, how many days do you want? And then I never hear anything again. Okay. Well, one of the problems that conventions have, for the most part, conventions are nonprofit and volunteer run. And sometimes they're not very good at handling money or organizing things. And they forget that if they want entertainment, they do, in fact, have to pay the entertainers. It's not us trying to be greedy. It's definitely not us trying to be greedy. It's just, you know, we got to get out there. We can't do it on our own dime. And you say, hey, isn't it a great thing you're here? Yes, it's a great thing I'm here. Yeah, please pay for my gas. <laughs> oh, you're, you're talking to a journalist who gets very tired of the right for exposure excuse. <laughs> uh, people die of exposure. That's all I have to say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
So what's next on your uh, project list? <laughs> Let's see. First off, I'm trying to write a few different, uh, basically mini musicals, one, one act musical simultaneously. I've, I've, I've got one fantasy project. I've got one kids project with anthropomorphic animals. Uh, I've got another one that will be Lovecraftian, although not as dark and nasty as Lovecraft often is. Now I'm going to actually see if I can have, you know, include both a love story and have the good guys survive. We'll see. I'm back to working on a project called Sounds Familiar, which is stuff from my first two cassette tapes redone 30 years later with, you know, full bands, because I can do that now. I have the, I have the technology. I'm eventually going to get back to doing the cover of Irish songs album that I wanted to do. Uh, I might end up doing a couple other cover albums. One of things that I like from contemporary music, you know, going back maybe 30, 40 years at most, and one doing really old stuff that I learned from my family, from my mom and my dad and my grandparents. And, you know, call that one stuff, you know, you know stuff I learned along the way or something like that. Well, my final question, then I'll ask if there's anything that you uh, want thought I was going to ask, but didn't. As you know, uh, the title of my podcast is called Geek Out, and the mm -hmm. motto is everyone's geeky about something. And mm -hmm. so I try and ask every single interview I, t I give, what are you geeky about and why? <laughs> you want the full list? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am you can geeky. focus on what you're geeky about right this, you know, the, now. Well, I was going to say, right now it's superhero movies. You know, we saw uh, uh, Infinity War the other week. Just this morning, saw Deadpool 2, which was awesome. I, I very much love the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, last night was the fifth season finale of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. i got to catch up on that sometime. I was going to say, I haven't seen it yet. Don't tell me. <laughs> not not going to tell you a thing. What, what specifically about them draws you? The, the why is the big question. I've been reading comics since I was six or seven or eight, okay? I mean, all the way back there. Uh, my grandmother was a real estate agent out in Farmington, and uh, Farmington, Michigan, not very far from here. And there was a bookstore that had used comics so I could get comics cheap. And then one day, I mean, I mean we're talking like, like the pile of comics that you'd see in, in a garage sale. But then one day they announced that there was going to be an actual comic book store opening up underneath in the basement of, of the place next door. And I had never heard of an actual comic book store, and neither had anybody else. And, oh, my God, we lined up the day it was going to open, and we go down there, and there's paintings of the Hulk and Captain America on the wall. There's Superman, and there's racks and racks and racks of nothing but comic books. Oh! Life was good. <laughs> I was the happiest little kid in all time. <laughs> I've always, I've always loved that kind of stuff, and I vastly prefer the Marvel product uh, to the DC product because DC decided to go dark. Thank you so freaking much, uh, Frank you know, Miller, you idiot. It's like, you know, first off, we did the Dark Knight Returns, which is a brilliant graphic novel, and then everybody said, okay, we'll do the Batman only this way. And then we'll drag everybody along to do it only this way. And now we'll start making movies, and we'll do it only this way. And there's a joke that's in the trailer of Deadpool 2, so I'm not doing this as a spoiler. This has been there, okay? But uh, Cable attacks Deadpool, stabs him in the shoulder, <laughs> and says something insulting. And he goes, so dark. Are you sure you're not part of the DC universe? And that's that's it. I mean, and, and some, <laughs> some people make jokes about the DC movies. Yeah, they're excessively dark. No, I don't mean the violence. I mean, you can't see. <laughs> Turn on some lights, Zack Snyder. <laughs>
Uh, I love the Netflix series. I love the animated series. I love the uh, I, I love the movies. I love the TV shows. Uh, they they've all been for the most part very good. Even Iron Fist is better than people think. It's just that the the people doing it I don't think had a good handle on the character. The ones doing Daredevil and Jessica Jones, oh yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, that's fine. No, like I said, it's it's the why that uh, that uh, you know people can list off a dozen things of what they're geeky about. I'm always curious as to the what oh, yeah. draws them. About well, I was, I was, I was going to say, right now I am surrounded, let's see, I have here, I have a bunch of Lego, I have my new copies, uh, let's see, Thor Ragnarok, there's Black Panther, there's Steven Universe uh, Season 1 that I just picked up, there's my copy of Hairspray the Musical, there's my brand new Blu-ray of The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, which is the one live-action Dr. Seuss movie starring Hans Conried as the de- uh, as the terrifying Dr. Terwilliker. Uh <laughs> There's action figures. Uh, there, there's more board games over here. There's, uh, you know, there, there's stacks and stacks of comic books. There's my CDs. There's other people's CDs. Uh, I can go off on this all day. Is there something that you thought I was going to talk about that uh, we haven't yet, or something that you wanted to talk about that we haven't? I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna turn your show into a forum for anything. I will just say, you know, I'm hoping that I'm having a lot of fun. I've been having a lot of fun for a long time doing this. I'm not making a lot of financial success, but I am having enough financial success to eat reasonably well and be reasonably comfortable. And I am having so much fun and meeting so many people, and it's always great. If I have a goal in what I'm doing, it's trying to make the world better, at least you know, one laugh at a time. And... I'm glad I get the chance to do that, and thank you for giving me the chance to spout off about it here on, on the show. I, I, I got into this originally because I had some music that I wanted to get out, and I wanted to get laid. <laughs> like I said, uh, a com- com- common, common inspiration, I know. <laughs> and I was able to get laid. And I was Yay! able to get, <laughs> and I was able to get music out, and then more, and then more, and then more. And it's like, I got two dozen albums. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. You know, again, you know, Frank Sinatra's career is not in doubt. I'm, I, I'm not going to overshadow uh, Bruce Springsteen, but I've done a lot of stuff, and you can go back and listen to most of it, and I think most of it holds up decently well. I think I've come out with a lot of good stuff that's funny. I've come out with some good stuff that's serious, and I like to think that I uh, provide a good time when you come see me in concert. Uh, I'm winning. <laughs> I make friends, I get hugs, I, I sell some CDs, and uh, and we all have a good time. I think that's pretty strong. That is a great way to end this podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, now, I am going to link to all of your, your websites, uh, you know, your, your main website as well as your Patreon and, and your social media on my post. But if you want to give those URLs for the people who do not go to my website shame on that well let's let's i was gonna say let's start it off right now uh the main site is filkertom.com i'm actually in the process of overhauling it completely the music is sold at tomsmith.bandcamp.com and uh you know, downloads whatever you like i'm on facebook as filkertom uh the musicians page on facebook is tom smith online and uh my other page is patreon.com slash filkertom uh, where you can support me and and get a get a new song or four every month. You know the the people who who support me on Patreon get the songs well before everybody else does. And now it's time for Angie Geeks Out. Back in March of this year, 
BBC Radio 4 started broadcasting a new series of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in honor of the 40th anniversary of the first radio production. Based on the book And Another Thing by Ian Colfer, it reunited cast members from both the radio show and the television production to follow the continuing adventures of Arthur Dent, who now has a daughter and is trying to reunite with Fenchurch. After the six-part series was broadcast, they then started repeating the first through fourth series of the radio show as well. Additionally, thanks to a friend of mine, I recently acquired the original Hitchhiker radio scripts. Not only does it have the original scripts from the first two series, but it has introductions and footnotes on each episode by both Douglas Adams and the producer Jeffrey Perkins. So as a result, I have been thoroughly enjoying the radio series the last couple of weeks. This latest series was adapted and produced by Dirk Maggs, who according to an article in The Guardian was chosen by Adams himself to bring the story back to the radio. Meanwhile, the book that it's based on had been commissioned by Adams' estate in 2009 to mark the 30th anniversary. It may not have been written by Adams, but this series definitely mimics his style in the best way possible. Additionally, reading the radio scripts has given me some great insight into the writing and casting of the series. I've been a huge Douglas Adams fan ever since I first watched the television series. As I wrote in an essay I did when I turned 42 on Tal Day, I was introduced to it thanks to my local PBS station, who must have thought, British? Science fiction? They're the same thing, and ran the first episode after Doctor Who. I was concerned that the original production wouldn't hold up, both to my memories as well as to the time. However, his intelligence, sense of humor, and the way he looked at the world are surprisingly relevant to today's world. While the new series is no longer available to listen to on BBC Radio, you can purchase it on Amazon.com. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to Tom Smith for his patience, not only as I tried to figure out why the audio was acting up, but for my awkwardness in interviewing him. Stay tuned after the end theme song of this podcast for one of his favorite songs, Talk Like a Pirate Day, which you can download for free on his website. Next up, yes, you heard that mid-show plug right. I interviewed some of the cast from the Netflix show Sense8 on the red carpet for the series finale. I did a write-up for Fandomopolis, but you get to hear the audio in all its glory in the next episode. Until next time, stay geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Pitnikin, available via the Free Music Archive. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. More information about the podcast is available on AngieFSutton.com. days are like all of the others go to work come back home watch tv but brother if i had me druthers i'd chuck it and head out to sea for i dream of the skull and the crossbones i dream of the great day to come when i dump the mundane for the old spanish main and trade me computer for rum r to me yo ho yo ho it's talk like a pirate day when laptops are benches god gave us for wenches and a sale ain't a low price to pay when timbers are shivered and lilies are livered and every last buckle is swashed 
We'll abandon our cars for a ship full of ours and pound back the grog till we're sloshy oh Hey, anybody seen me keys? Just off the coast of Florida, matey, are. Don't pick up your phone and say hello. Our 10 o'clock meeting's delayed. You scrunch up your face and you bellow. Avast, you've been bleeding belayed. You can't keep this fun to yourself, I bet. So sing, I are a every man. We ain't got much grasp of the alphabet. But a damn good retirement plan <laughs> to me, yo yo ho. It's talk like a pirate day. Whatever's in fashion is in for a thrashing, and being polite is passe. When it's every man's duty to grab his proud beauty and let out a hearty yo ho. And if this offends you, hold your breath as we send you to Davy Jones' locker. You go, yo ho. Hey, where is Davy Jones' locker anyway? Right near Monkey Island, matey. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell every banker he'd to and weigh anchor by latte with pieces of eight. We'll fight to be chosen as captain or bosun. The loser, of course, is worst mate. When we hoist Jolly Roger, the landlubber's dodger, we fill him with loathing and fear. We'll plunder and pillage each city and village, or at least clean out Walmart of beer. Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to Iron Chef Pirate. Let's see the secret ingredient. It's barnacles. Oh, there'll be some cutting-edge cuisine. Oh, it's still falling. I need this for me, salad. I'll ask there, me bucko. You need carrot shavings. Oh, carrot. Carrot. <laughs> uh, but, Captain, I be on Atkins. Oh, oh, I. 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 <laughs> Moron. And you, what are you doing with that salmon? I'm grinning it on a hunk of cedar. What do you think? You can't do that in a Japanese stir-fry, you bilge rat. Oh, oh, you never heard a walk in the plank. There ain't no computing or morning commuting. No parking lot full signs for me. No lawns to be mowing or bills to be owing. I'm knowing the pull of the sea. The fresh salty brace of the wind on my face through hurricane sunshine or squalls. I'm keeping my eyes on the distant horizon. Verizon can hold all my calls. To wear a red coat full of buckles. To earn a few dueling scars. Well, at least we can get a few chuckles by filling the office with ours. And maybe we'll never get closer than watching them on the big screen. So here's to old Errol and Deb as Jack Sparrow and every damn one in between. To me, yo ho, yo ho, it's talk like a pirate day. That time in September when sea dogs remember that grown-ups still know how to play. When wenches are curvy and dogs are all scurvy and a software patch covers your eye. To hell with our jobs, for one day we're all swabs and buccaneers all till we die. So hoist up the main cells and shut down your brain cells, they only would get in the way. Avast there, me hearty, we're having a party. It's talk like a pirate day. Yo-ho! 
me buckles. We've got a new retirement plan. Uh, what's it called, Captain? A 401R. A nice office matey. Who designed it? An architect. I've got to stop at the store on me way home. Where are you going, Target? No, Marshall Fields. Incoming message, Captain. Alpha, Romeo, Romeo, Romeo. Uh, whose side are they on? Our side, of course. Now you're pushing it. Oh, so I've gone too far. Created a monster I have. No, no, no. That's talking like Yoda.